there, this is Liren Baker and welcome to the Kitchen Confidant Podcast. Today we're chatting with Genevieve Ko, Deputy Editor for the New York Times Food Section and NYT Cooking. Prior to joining the New York Times, Genevieve was the cooking editor at the Los Angeles Times, has held editorial roles at many well-loved publications including Gourmet Magazine and Martha Stewart Omnimedia, contributed to over 20 cookbooks with numerous leaders in the food industry, and is the author of Better Baking, Wholesome Ingredients, Delicious Desserts. I am so excited to welcome Genevieve to the podcast. Hey, Genevieve. Hi, I'm so happy to be here. Thanks so much for having me. I am super excited to chat with you today. But before we begin, I always start by asking, what was the first thing that you remember cooking and about how old were you? Sure. I have the clearest memory of this because I was about eight and I was making peanut butter cookies following the recipe from the Better Homes and Gardens cookbook, that sort of red gingham printed one that yes. uh, my mom had. And it was my very first time. My mom does not, my neither of my parents bake at all. So I was sort of on my own to figure it out. And I mixed up the salt and the sugar. Oh. So, the very, so the very first <laughs> bite I took was painful and sad. Um, but, you know, try, try again. Did it again with the right proportion. So peanut butter cookies, peanut butter cookies is definitely um, my first thing. And then I ended up last Christmas developing a peanut butter cookie recipe um, for NYT cooking, sort of as an ode to that. that (laughs) A little redeeming, a little less salty. Yeah, (laughs) like I can can do now. But of course, the irony is now we all love salt with our cookies. So, you know, there's a little more salt than than you might normally have in a peanut butter cookie, but... um, That's so true. I would welcome a salty cookie anytime. (laughs) Um, Could you tell everyone a little bit about yourself and the path that led you to the New York Times? Sure, absolutely. So it feels a little bit like coming full circle professionally, actually. When I graduated from college, I I hadn't really imagined or understood that um, a career in food or in cooking could be something I would do. Um, You know, just I think the way I was raised. and whatnot, it, you know, was not the sort of profession that my parents who had immigrated to the U.S. thought I should, yeah, should should try because that's what they had to do to get us, you know, to get us to right. where we were. But I'd always, always, always loved food so much. And I had always been a writer and, and spent a lot of time in college as a writer and uh, both obviously my classes, but also for a lot of publications. And shortly after I graduated, I was working in education and actually met Mark Bittman, who, uh, a New York Times columnist for a very long time. I met him at a book signing and he at that moment just happened to be looking for a research assistant. And so that was actually my first, was my first gig. Gosh, it's been so long. That was sort of concurrent with my, um, I started writing for a few newspapers or a lot more newspaper food section back then. Started writing for a few mm-hmm. newspaper sections. Um, and I also started cooking professionally in a kitchen to learn how to cook. And then I, um, and I was also working for a market at the same time. So that was sort of how I got started. I actually had a full-time job, uh, which my parents were very happy about, you know, had a had a steady full-time job and then was just experimenting with both the food writing aspect of it and, of course, the professional cooking aspect of it and having it all come together in these various ways. And, and yeah, I just sort of kept at it year after year. Um, and, and yeah, so it feels like coming back full circle. So here I am now um, at the New York Times. But I went, yeah, I was always simultaneously doing cookbooks um, and magazines. And I had really started out primarily in newspapers, but that industry really shifted. The sort of smaller regional papers um, ceased to exist in a lot of cases, which is so sad. 
um, base. And then when I moved to New York, then I I started working on magazine staffs. So I started being in test kitchens um, and working on those different magazine staffs and and then simultaneously sort of doing cookbooks nights and weekends, that sort of thing. And it was so wonderful to be able to go back to the newspaper world um, when the LA Times relaunched their food section. And and it was really exciting, of course, to also then get the call from the New York Times um, and then to sort of come back to where I started. I, I was never working for the New York Times, but but Mark was. So, you know, right, so right. I, I, I assisted with a lot of those um, those columns and he was a great teacher and, and really got to learn a lot uh, through that process. So, Well, how serendipitous that you ran into Mark Bittman or, or met him, I should say, and yeah, and was mentored by him, and I can just imagine yeah, the amazing. wealth of knowledge that you've you've learned from him. So yeah, very nice full yeah. circle moment. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> so over the last few weeks, millions of students have turned a chapter in their in their lives yeah. and have graduated mm-hmm. and are in the real world. So I understand yeah. that at the New York Times, you guys are working on a special project. So maybe you could tell us all about yeah. it. Yeah, so it's actually going live today, which I'm so excited oh, about. And that's exciting. And it feels like it's been almost years in the making because we've talked about it for a long time. This this idea that we have, you know, we have over twenty thousand recipes on MIT cooking, and lots and lots of them are um, are really simple and sort of anyone. Well, anyone can really make any of the recipes, right? Theoretically, but we we long thought about well, what about those. I was about to say kids, and I say kids because my kids actually fall in this category. What about those kids? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> graduating high school or college or, you know, or not just kids, but anyone who's starting out, right? First kitchen yes. for the first time or just starting to cook for the first time where, well, you know, they're not sure how committed they want to be. We have no expectation that they would like get a stand mixer or a microplane or, you know, be obsessed with with cooking in the way that a lot of our users are. Like, how do we help them get started? How do we teach them um how wonderful and fun and, and joyful cooking can be. Um, and one of our editors, um, Nikita, came up with this wonderful idea, like, well, what if we set it up sort of like a couch to 5K concept, right? That sort of concept of people who are like, I'm gonna run a 5K, but you don't just um, just start running, right? You sort of build right. up to that. And so um, it was wonderful collaborating with a big group of not just our editors, but our video producers or social media editors to talk about what would be best for people at this stage of life. And I really um, was so inspired by, by all these conversations. We decided that like, well, the best way is just to make meals, right? So instead of saying like, oh, here's how you properly chop an onion, right? Which is something I had been interested in in that stage of life because I wanted to pursue cooking professionally. Well, you know, for most people, they just want to eat <laughs> something yeah, good. Yeah. Um, make something tasty. And I think especially in these times to do so on a budget, you know, eating mm-hmm. out is can get really pricey. Very expensive. Um, yeah. So really, really keeping those things in mind. Um, you know, we came up with this group of 10 recipes where you sort of you don't have to make them in order, but it's sort of helpful to build those skills. You know, with each recipe you pick up another skill and by the end you feel really mm-hmm. confident. And the whole group of them you don't need more than either a so- you know a saucepan, a skillet, what is it? A cutting board, a knife, a sheet pan, and that's sort of it. And like a bowl, <laughs> yes, a bowl. You need yeah, a bowl. Uh, or a spoon for stirring. But yeah, I'm really excited by it. And it was, and it was really, you know, interesting for me too. I did learn a lot from my own kids. Like I mentioned, my older two I have twins who just finished their freshman year, and one of them didn't have a meal plan. Just had to move into this place. And even though, you know, I taught them different things over the years, it's really different uh, cooking in your starter sort of dorm kitchen versus our home, obviously. 
Yeah, and so often I would ask her, I'm like, hey, how come you're not cooking my recipes on NYT Cooking? And she would say, mom, they're, they're too hard. There's too much stuff or, you know, there's too many ingredients. And I was like, oh, okay. So it was really, it was really eye-opening. Like, oh, okay, we actually need to create recipes um, for these things that, that I think as more experienced cooks, sometimes we just do instinctively. So our first idea was even like, we should have a recipe for a quesadilla because it seems so obvious, right? It seems so right. obvious to anybody who's put, like, you just put cheese between tortillas. What What's the big deal? But we realized actually some people aren't even quite sure, well, once you do that, then what? <laughs> um, and so Melissa Clark came up with the most delicious and sort of both foolproof method, but also, you know, made it even a little more special um, where she mm. created a crispy edge of cheese around the quesadilla. And so, um, so for each of these 10 recipes, you know, we're, we're really making sure we're teaching something a little new, something a little fresh, but, um, but also for somebody who's just starting out, they'll really gain skills with that. And I do have to say, you know, they're not just for people who are just starting out because the other night I was so tired. I don't know if you ever heard that. I was just so tired. Yes. And I was looking at my, my kitchen was really clean and I thought, oh, I'm hungry and I can't bear the thought of scrubbing and dirtying yeah. <laughs> anything, but I don't want to order something. And I actually made Eric Kim's tuna mayo rice bowl because I have enough leftover rice in the fridge and a can of tuna. And I was like, you know, these recipes are not just for people who are starting out. They're for anybody who's tired, busy, doesn't feel like, um, yeah, it doesn't feel like. Yeah. Right now. Well, it's so, it's funny. I feel like we have a lot of similarities. My daughter just finished her freshman year of college and she also, due to various oh, reasons, fine. had to move straight into an apartment. And it was a lesson for both of us as well. I, you know, and I wondered at the same time, like, why isn't she just cooking a recipe that's on my site? And she complained that it was too complicated. <laughs> so I found myself writing simpler recipes for her. And, and also when we moved into her place, realizing, okay, we're working with bare bones equipment. And it really brought me back mm -hmm. to when I graduated and, um, and just, you know, not having a full kitchen. So I love Mm -hmm. the idea of that culinary spin on the couch to 5k because it's a nice mm -hmm. gentle way for new cooks to hopefully be in it for the long haul so in terms of the package of 10 recipes is it the type of thing that you're going to release all at once or are you going to kind of go you know release it one at a time Does, is it the kind of thing where they're going to be building their skills from one recipe to the other or how is that going to work we actually um, are going to release them all at once. We're going to release okay. them all at once because we really want people to be able to. Um, we want people to be able to sort of cook whatever they feel like cooking in whatever order. Um, mm -hmm. At the same time, on our social media channels, we're releasing this really fun um, checklist <laughs> for people to. Uh, it's really cute, you know, this checklist where, like, if you want to mark how you've done each of them and 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 take your own notes on them. Um, we've done that. But, you know, it's really meant for people to sort of figure out how they want to do it. You know, we don't want to be so prescriptive. We, you know, we had, we did very consciously, like, look at all the recipes and like, okay, we sort of start with recipes that are no cook that really don't even require a mm. stove or the oven. And then we move into skillet based recipes, you know, and then we move into saucepan based recipes. And then our big finale is a, is a roast chicken um, with potatoes, uh. which feels like, a, you know, it feels really, uh, yeah, like a finale. <laughs> I think it's yeah, the best way to think it feels it. special. Yeah, it feels really special. Like you've made yourself roast chicken and potatoes, but of course, somebody can start with a roast chicken and potatoes. Somebody yeah. can say, like, "Well, I already know how to do this other stuff." And so, 
we just wanted to make sure people had that option all at once. And at the same time, we recognize that I think it's amazing that there are so many people out there, um, kids out there who already know so much about cooking and how to cook. You know, what we've done is we actually put together a collection of recipes on NYT cooking as sort of like, okay, you've like, you've already nailed these 10 or you, you know, you like these 10. Well, here, here are another dozen or so um, that are really great for when you're starting out with, again, minimal equipment, um, quick, really ideal for cooking for either just yourself or your roommates. So we're, we're just giving our home cooks all of these tools to say like, hey, here are all these options. And then you can sort of DIY, figure on your, your own. So if they go, yeah. if someone wants to go on the site and find it, where what could, will it just pop up? What is there a name that you've packaged it under? Sure, sure. It hasn't gone live yet, but it, it's about right. to. Um, and we've just called we've called it Learn to Cook, and I don't know how to say it, but Learn how to cook, Learn to cook, and heart it <laughs> in ten easy oh, dishes. Yeah. So Aww. essentially, learn to cook in ten easy dishes. But we really, you know, it's not just about learning the skills, but really building the confidence um, mm -hmm. and the joy in it. And uh, yeah. I think that's that's a lot of what it is, is just not not just teaching people, okay, here's how to make these dishes, but how to make them and then have people feel like, oh, wow, I did that and that's delicious and it's so fun and I want to keep going and, um, and that, was I think really, that, that was really the motivation. I think that's really awesome to, to, you know, to have those to have those guidelines and to instill that confidence. But we should also talk about beginner mistakes because we all have them. <laughs> Do you remember, you know, some mistakes that you had when you first started cooking that maybe you could share? Sure. Mistakes I made early on, for sure. I mean, so many. You know, I think one that is a really common mistake, um, and I shouldn't call it a mistake, but something that we're constantly trying to teach people, and people ask us about all the time, is like, my goodness, why are you constantly giving us all these different you know, why are you constantly giving us all these different salt options, right? Because mm -hmm. it's really easy to to over-season or under-season. And, and one thing we talk about a lot is that a lot of our cooks, um, our recipe developers and our recipe testers, like Diamond Crystal Coated Salt, which is a, a specific brand that is, quite frankly, just less salty than, than Morton's Kosher Salt. Then I just um, opened a new box of kosher salt called True Salt, then your supermarket brand, you know, for sure I've bought supermarket brand kosher salt, there's David's kosher salt. And then of course there's also fine salt, right? There's just regular mm -hmm. fine sea salt or fine iodized salt. And all of these salts have a different degree of saltiness. And I think before this big like revolution in food, there used to be this common tendency to undersalt, right? To, to mm -hmm. not season your food enough. And so it wasn't quite as delicious as it could be. But I think with the advent of so much food media, you're constantly seeing people really generously salt as they cook, sort of start to finish. Um, and we even have a video coming out with Nikita, our, our writer who wrote the text for this story and cooked the recipes that Eric, Melissa and I developed, um, mm -hmm. where she talks about that. She's like, listen, if your food doesn't taste good, it's probably because you undersalted it. So all that to say, when I was starting out, I found that I kept over seasoning Right. I mm. kept over salting because I was training in a restaurant kitchen where you saw people just really sprinkling salt on so generously at every single stage. And sometimes by the end, it would be too much. And so something I, I sometimes tell kids now, especially those who, who watch a lot of food TV or watch a lot of food TikTok, or I don't know if you remember a few years ago, what was his name? Salt Bay. There was this, oh, I'm not there's familiar. Like this internet. Yeah. There was this social media personality who's known for his salting. 
Oh. <laughs> I'll look it uh, up. <laughs> so something that I say is actually, um, you can salt a little less generously in the beginning. And what you want to do, and this is actually, these are the recipes that we started with in the beginning, mm. is taste at every stage. Taste what you're um, cooking at every stage when you can. Sometimes it's not safe, right? Sometimes it's right. like raw chicken. Yeah, don't do the chicken. But, <laughs> yeah, but, but, you know, we start with like a guacamole, you know, or like the yeah. tuna marrows, but like go ahead and taste it. You know, you don't have to to put salt at every stage and then and then end up with something too salty because sometimes you can't save it. But you can always season more at the end um, is the way I, I always think of it. So that was really one of my big mistakes. And then the other things are smaller where they're not so much mistakes, but just getting to know your kitchen, getting to know um, your oven, especially I've loved I love baking. I, I've always loved baking. Um, and everywhere I've lived, I've learned that like I have to get to know my oven. So even if you decide to get fancy and buy an oven thermometer to put in your oven, a lot of ovens have hot spots. A lot of them just have mercurial tendencies. And so, um, yeah, so I think uh, it's often just a little bit something that can only come with experience, right? Like the very first time you bake something, you can't possibly know where your oven's hot spots are. Um, right. And that sort of thing. So a lot of times it's just a matter of, of getting to know um, your oven, getting to know your stove, um, and even getting to know your own tastes. I think that's the other thing, getting to know your own tastes. You know, we tend to actually not include specific salt amounts in our recipes, not only because the salt, saltiness of different salts is so different, but also because people prefer different levels of seasoning. So obviously we do for baked goods or for sauces where you can't, or, or for things like raw chicken where you can't. Um, necessarily yes. taste it in the process but but otherwise we always encourage people like the most important thing you can do when you're learning to cook is um, at every stage like go ahead and taste it and then keep going like I did a veggie tofu curry and say taste it and not only you know are you sort of asking yourself well doesn't need more salt but in that case you know actually should you add a little more curry powder at the end Right, so, right. you know, I don't, you know, you don't initially put it all in the beginning because curry powders can vary so widely in their taste and their intensity and so you know, just start with the base amount and you can for sure just taste that sauce and you know, add a little more if you think it needs a little more, not if it doesn't. Yeah, I do think the tasting as you go is so important. And then at the end also, like there's the context yeah. of the tasting. Like if you're having guacamole, taste it with the chip that you're going to be serving it with because the chip might be saltier yeah. than you think. So, yeah. So you mentioned working with Mark Bittman and I think many of us know him from his cookbooks on how to cook everything. So what are some lessons yeah. that you took away from him that you might see reflected in, in the lessons for, for new cooks? You know, when I started working with him was when he was doing the, the minimalist column. Um, I remember for, that. Yes. Because, yeah, yeah. And I think one of the things that I really learned from Mark and, um, and one of the things that, we did together. So when we started working together, neither of us uh, was in New York. We were actually like out in the suburbs and it was really helpful to work in that context. We just went to like the big supermarket in town. Um, you know, one of the things I, I learned from him was for sure this balance between yeah, being a minimalist, like what it meant to be a minimalist in the kitchen, right? Which is you need to retain the soul of a recipe. You need to keep all those necessary things, but all the extra stuff, right? All the all the stuff that you would learn in a professional restaurant kitchen, you know, that those things were, were a little less necessary. So I think one of the things that we learned from him is just this concept of like, hey, the goal is, again, to help people find the joy in cooking and to, and to do it, <laughs> to teach them how to make them feel confident in their ability to cook everything. And sometimes that means that, you know, it doesn't, um, you don't necessarily want to then add all the bells and whistles because that can be 
intimidating to, you know, to put it mildly. And back then, gosh, something like what we have now at NYT was like a dream, right? It was hard to even imagine. Like we could only imagine it in this like giant book form, but now like, oh, wow. But now we have this massive database where um, sometimes you do have options for, for things with all the bells and whistles for cooks who are really into that. But at the, you know, for sure, for most day-to-day cooking, you just want to get something good on the table. And, and you just find that like, that balance between what that means. It's it's a little bit of fuzzy math. It's sometimes how it feels, right? It's sort of, <laughs> or to use like a business term, right? like what's your return on investment, right? There's there's a yeah. point at which the amount of time, money, energy you spend, or what you're always going for is you want that time, money, and energy spent to, to be well worth um, what you get from it. So that's really one of the things I've, I, I remember learning from Mark is, okay, like, Where's that balance? How do we find that balance between keeping a recipe true to what it should be and also making sure that whoever's making it by the end, you know, it's it's delicious and you felt great about making it, right? Because there are some dishes yeah. you could spend like three days making. And at the end, um, maybe you either feel like, whoa, that was really worth every single second and all, all of that energy and all those dishes I had to wash. <laughs> but if it doesn't feel that way, well, then it you know, then probably that's not the way to go, right? Professional yeah. cooking is very different from from home cooking. And, and that was really what I learned was through the fundamentals of what does it mean? What is successful home cooking? Mm-hmm. Um, so as we mentioned before, I feel like the New York Times attracts a specific kind of cook. I feel like you attract an adventurous cook, someone who has a sophisticated palate. So what are some of the recipes that you think that they're going to lean towards in, in this recipe package? Yeah, I mean, I think the way I, I <laughs> like to think of it is we do, you know, adventurous and sophisticated, I think, sure, like definitely define a lot of our cooks. I think um, I definitely hope that all of our cooks are always open to, to new tastes and new dishes and, and new things. But, um, but I sometimes I'm like, gosh, are we sophisticated? Like, I don't. I, I sometimes feel like I can't admit, but it's true that like one of my favorite places to shop is for sure Costco um, or just like my, you know, my, my local supermarket. Um, yeah. And I think part of what we're part of what we're showcasing with our beginners recipe package and actually with a lot of our dishes is we actually love all types of food, you know, and, and every single um, and every single sort of category of food that there is. And, and, you know, adventurous is sort of always relative. So, you know, so for example, again, that very, yeah, that very first dish we have, this tuna mayo rice bowl, gosh, could not be simpler, right? Tuna, mayo, soy sauce, and sesame oil. Now, I don't think soy sauce at this point is adventurous at all for anyone <laughs> in this country. The sesame oil, maybe a little bit, but for mm-hmm. others, it's something they would normally have. And we do teach people this sort of fun trick of topping it with, well, whatever you want, but it could be toasted sesame seeds, or it could be uh, different forms of roasted salted seaweed, which really makes mm-hmm. it tasty. And and so again, that might be something that um, someone has always had and enjoyed, and it might be something new for someone else. So, um, so that's a great example of a dish where like, yeah, this is all stuff you can buy and get anywhere. And, and maybe you've never had it, but probably you'll really be excited to try it if you haven't, or maybe you've always grown up with it, but you haven't necessarily tried it together in this combination and enjoyed it in that way. So um, yeah, so we tend to think of, of all of our dishes that way, but you know, in particular here, and, and I was thinking too about one of the recipes I had developed for this package when I was again, trying to think about what is it really like for someone who's starting out and, and even thinking of my own kids. 
And I thought, okay, what's a really fun breakfast brunch dish? And it's French toast, right? So simple. Mm. And we have published so many amazing French toast recipes over the years. We had this great caramelized one. Last Christmas, we did this super cool overnight French toast where the loaf was actually vertical and, and it was really tasty. But I was just trying to come up with a recipe for sandwich bread, like just your your most baseline French toast, right? The French toast I remember making when I was 11 or 12 or yeah. something. And I would do that, right? It's just eggs, milk, sandwich bread, butter, obviously for cooking. And when I ate that, I was like, this is so delicious and wonderful, right? It wasn't mm -hmm. um, fancy bakery bread. It wasn't like a thick slice of brioche or milk bread or some crazy sourdough. It was just sandwich bread. Yeah. Um, and it was so wonderful to rediscover how delicious it is. And also it cooks so much more quickly. And also yes. it did this really wonderful thing where, you know, when you're using fancy bread, if you want a really custardy French toast, you need to soak it for a really long time. And, you, and then you also really need to be careful about how you regulate your heat so that the outside caramelizes and the eggy custard inside cooks through. But with these thin slices of sandwich bread, super quick, super foolproof, and just so crazy delicious. It, it really felt like such a treat. So yeah, so we're often thinking about like, how do you get something really delicious on the table? And how do you learn a little bit um, mm -hmm. about cooking and about the world and the process? Yeah, back to basics. Um, I have some closing questions, but before I let you go and get to those really quick questions, I just have to touch on your most recent New York Times cooking video where you made one of my favorites, butter mo mochi. And I know it's a favorite in Hawaii, and it's very similar to something I grew up eating, which is Filipino bibinka. So mm -hmm. I would love to know, what are your other favorite ways to use mochiko, which is the sweet rice flour? Yeah, absolutely. I actually, I love bibinka too. We have, um, I think we have two or three different bibinka um, recipes on our site. And I really, butter mochi has long been my favorite. Um, you know, I grew up in Los Angeles and a lot of my classmates from elementary school had family from Hawaii or they, they themselves had moved from Hawaii. And so I think one of the things I love the most about butter mochi was all the different forms that it would take. Does that make sense? Because, um, mm -hmm. yeah, because every, every, home cook had a slightly like they used a different milk or they use a different method but it was always like the nine by 13 sheet pan yes <laughs> so I still think that's like for lots of reasons my favorite I have really enjoyed also experimenting with mixing the mochi you know mixing it with like a hot liquid to to actually cook through the mochi in a um, non-baked way um, oh, okay. you know molding yeah. the mochi mm -hmm. yeah and that's really fun I, I I think it just yeah it's hard for me to like in terms of desserts, it's hard to beat <laughs> butter mochi, yeah. I think, because of the butter, probably. And you can uh, serve a crowd. <laughs> but yeah, but I've enjoyed, like, experimenting with that, you know, rolling it out and, like, you know, uh, wrapping it around berries or, or trying other different fun things or even just cutting them into to little bits, um, you know, for for the Lunar New Year, for Chinese New Year. It's not the same as mochi, right? Glutinous rice flour is actually slightly different, but I, I'll make mm -hmm. little glutinous rice flour dumplings. And um, yeah, and I did that for NYT cooking too with a black sesame filling. And you actually um, cook those in a soup and, and have those in a soup. But I actually really love mochiko for savory dishes too. I think for frying, well, chicken, pork chops as a coating, um, it really becomes so crackly and wonderful in so many different ways. So, so that's mm, I can't wait to try that. Yeah. yeah. Well, before I let you go, Genevieve, I have just some quick closing questions. Yeah, of course. So what's something that you make when you're too tired to cook and you need an emergency go-to dinner? 
Well, in the laziest, on the laziest days, it's really, it's a bowl of cereal. It really is. It's just a bowl of cereal. When I have a little more energy, it is almost always ramen. I just have like my favorite ramen. Uh, You know, I always make sure we keep some on hand. And so it's just a bowl of that. And I'll usually throw in like, I I try to always keep um, bags of greens uh, in my fridge. So I'll, you know, try to throw in some greens and I'll crack an egg in there. Yeah. Nothing fancy, but yeah, yeah. those, those two are are my go-tos for sure. Those are some of my top ones too, which, which um, (laughs) cereal I have to ask. (laughs) Really depends on the mood. I really, um, I just last night, in fact, had a bowl of life. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, sometimes, yeah, sometimes it's like life, sometimes it's Cheerios, a certain mood. Other times it's like a crunchy flake, some sort of like flaky, you know, honey bunches of oats, or um, oh, I like yeah. the I, Kashi's Blueberry Morning, I think it's called. Yeah. Oh, I haven't so, tried that one. <laughs> yes, I usually keep at least like four or five uh, different types. Yes, same. (laughs) What's the one recipe that you treasure the most? That's a really hard one. I didn't anticipate this. I (laughs) treasure the most. It might actually be, you know, sort of hitting this like stage of life. My mom really loved my mom so much and and admire her in so many different ways. My mom really doesn't, didn't cook when I was growing up. And I think only very recently has sort of started, right? Has finally hit the stage of life where she can like take a break from working nonstop and, and taking mm. care of us. And I mean, taking care of us, we're all adults, fully adults. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but the one dish that she sort of made more frequently, you know, that she made sort of at all was a spare ribs dish. Um, and it was sort of the one that when I was starting out, I would call, you know, call her from, from my first apartment. It's like, mom, how do I do this? Mom, how do I do this? And so it was really, you know, it's really special, the sort of um, spare rib dish that I think she had learned um, when she first arrived in the U.S. and was in college and, and didn't know how to cook either. Um, and so it's something that, um, something that I really treasure now is just having that connection and, and being able yeah. to, to make that um, and think of, think of her and, it's just really, Aww. it's really tasty. Yeah. Yeah. I love those types of recipes. Those are always the best. Yeah. Um, yeah. Are you a messy cook or a neat cook? There are times when I feel like, oh my goodness, I'm so messy right now. But honestly, I'm a very neat cook, right? Like <laughs> my, my standard of messiness, I think is, is um, yeah, I think I hold myself to a very high standard in terms of messy kitchen. Um, <laughs> but I do like to, I do like to, it helps me think more clearly when I have like, a clean space to work with. And so I do like to, to try to continuously keep my, keep my kitchen space clean, but you know, my, my kids have really disabused me of that over the years. So I really had to, <laughs> learn to, you know, if it's a choice between having them in the kitchen with me and, and having a neat kitchen, I'd rather have them with me. So that's, oh, I agree with that too. What's a good kitchen yeah. tip that you can share? You know, one of the things that makes a bizarrely huge difference in in making cooking feel much more fluid and actually in keeping your kitchen space clean is I always create for myself a little trash bucket on the counter um mm-hmm. you know right before I'm about to make even if I'm about to make a little meal but certainly if I'm about to like cook a bunch of things because for some reason that like half a second that you save from not having to like pull out your trash can or walk over to your trash can to throw away whatever scraps it feels, yeah, it's so much quicker when it's right there, right in front of your cutting board or right, you know, in front of wherever you're working where you can just like toss your, you know, I don't know, toss the, that um, 
peel or if you just mm-hmm. open a package, throw away that little bit of um, wrapper and, and that sort of thing. Yeah. It, that yeah, really helps. It really helps it feel much quicker or much easier. Yeah. So every week I try to share five little things with my audience, something that made me smile. Um, is there anything good that you experienced this week? It's so many things. It's always hard to... <laughs> I will say one thing that just made me smile this weekend here in New York City, the weather was just glorious. It was really windy, but so the skies were so blue and it was like warm, but cool at the same time. So that was really just lovely. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. Especially in the summer when it can get so humid there. (laughs) It can get so terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Genevieve, I really enjoyed speaking with you. Where can anyone find you? Where can they find all these wonderful new recipes that you'll be sharing today? Sure, absolutely. So my my column, I write a monthly column, and that's on nytimes.com. And all those recipes are on NYT cooking. Um, and I have to confess that I, I swear someday I'm going to get back on social media and be good at it. <laughs> I'm Genevieve <laughs> underscore co at Instagram, but I haven't quite quite gotten there yet. But I, um, I do do demos um, on the NYT cooking um, Instagram account, as well as in our TikTok account, um, and on our YouTube channel. So you can actually see how the dishes are made. I think that makes a world of a difference. And we're yeah. increasingly as much as we can uh, doing videos of all of our dishes so people can see those steps. Yeah, I think it gets makes it more exciting for especially visual learners. Yeah. So yeah, for well, sure. Jenny, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much for spending time with me today. And well, good luck with the lunch. Thank you so much for having me. No, oh, thank you. Thank you. It was so great seeing you. I hope you enjoyed this week's show. Chatting with Genevieve reminded me how fun and also challenging cooking can be in the beginning, but also how it's great to pair things back to the basics. So I'm excited to check out their 10 recipes for beginner cooks. It'll be great to have some new recipes in my arsenal. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Kitchen Confidant. And thank you again to Genevieve for joining us today. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to rate it and review it and share it with a friend and join us again next time. Until then, happy cooking.